Good evening or afternoon or morning, whatever part of the country or world you're in. Thank you, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I just realized this, the topic for today is like my greatest passion when it comes to dogs. And it's <laughs> it's taken me over a year uh, to do a Facebook Live on this topic. I've been doing my weekly shows for over a year now. And I this is the first time I've dedicated a, a, a session just for this topic. Um, I'm going to be talking about fitness for the protection or patrol dog. So um, again, a, a topic very near and dear to my heart. I'll tell you a little bit why. And uh, I don't know why it's taken me so long to um, dedicate one of my Facebook Lives to this topic. Um, so I'm really excited to be here today with you. Thank you for joining me again. If you have a dog that you do protection sports with, or if you're law enforcement, if you have a patrol dog, if you do bite work, um, personal protection, uh, Schutzen, ring sport, let me know. Uh, write down in the comments. Uh, and also if you end up watching the, if you're watching the video replay, um, let me know. Also let me know because um, I get a lot of dog trainers who also watch. So maybe you don't do protection sports, but maybe you have clients that do. So I'd love to hear, um, you know, what, what perspective you're coming in from. So uh, let me know and introduce yourselves. Um, just a quick introduction. I'll tell you a little bit more about myself, but just to get started, my name is Erica Bowling, and I am the owner and founder of Northeast Canine Conditioning. Um, I really love helping people take their sport dogs and their working dogs and turning them into elite canine athletes. I do work with pet dogs, uh, owners of pet dogs and dog trainers of pet dogs, but my passion, um, it's the sport and working dogs. Uh, and again, today we're going to be talking about fitness uh, for these dogs, particularly in the protection sports, patrol dogs, dogs that bite, <laughs> dogs that are trained to bite, not just any old biting dog. Um, but let me just give you a little bit of background. I'm going to introduce you here and pull up his picture if I can get him up here for you. Uh, this is Bachi and he, uh, he was my first, he, he is my first, I, I have another one, but um, he is the one who introduced me to protection sports. Uh, I do, well, I did, he's retired now, but I did French ring, which is a protection sport. Um, people wear a full body suit. And uh, he's, he's the reason that, that I got into canine fitness. It is such a physically demanding sport, um, like a number of these protection sports. And, um, and he had some injuries. And I didn't know everything I know now about canine fitness when I started with him. And uh, I'm sure I could have prevented some of the injuries or at least minimize uh, the effects of what we went through if I had known about proper conditioning um, when I got him as a puppy. And, uh, and and not just as a, you know, through his entire life. Now, after he was injured, he was, well, we had issues on and off ever since he was about a year old. But um, I retired him around five and a half years old to do some issues with his um uh, a narrowing of the spinal canal and a couple, some slight deterioration of some discs in his neck. But, um, and we don't know, uh, I, I did ask, um, he had an MRI and I asked the, uh, um, I asked the person, uh, who gave us the assessment and the diagnosis. And I said, you know, could this have been, could this have been due to trauma, you know, from protection sports? Could it be genetic? You know, could it be, you know, there was no one particular incident. And um, he said, he, there's no way to tell. In an MRI, it's a snapshot, one moment in time. There's no distinct, you know, like a traumatic injury. 
You know, I don't remember any particular, you know, bad episode. Um, so we don't know, but definitely, um, definitely the high impact sports, um, it, it doesn't help, uh, especially if your dog has any kind of issues. And if you're not doing proper conditioning, uh, that's not good. That's not good. So Bocce, he's, he is the reason I'm here with my business. He is the reason I got into protection sports. And he is the reason why I'm talking with you about this tonight. Um, so I'm, what I'm going to do, the plan for today, this is, there's, I could talk an entire weekend on this and more. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to get through quickly. I have a lot I want to talk about. But just so you know, I do have other videos on some of the topics I'm going to be mentioning. I do have other videos where I've already gone into a lot more detail about some of these topics. So make sure you check out my videos on my Facebook business page, Northeast Canine Conditioning. Um, and if you want to learn more, definitely let me know because I've got videos, I've got articles, I have courses. Um, if, if this is a topic you want to know more about, uh, I've got plenty of other ways to support you beyond today. Um, but I'm going to do what I can to, co to cover today. Um, so it is my passion when it comes to dogs, uh, protection, sports, and fitness, and uh, patrol, you know, any of these dogs. And um, But it does, it, it does have its negatives. Uh, it's high energy, it's exciting, high impact sport. Um, you, you know, you need dogs to be very athletic. Um, for them to even be, to do well, you have to start with a dog that already has athletic potential to get to, especially if you're competing at certain levels. Um, and so what I want to do is I'm going to talk about first kind of the dangers. What There are some very, very unique and demanding things on the dogs when we get into protection work. I'm going to talk about some of the dangers. I'm going to talk about some of the things and some of the injuries we frequently see. And I'm going to talk about some of the causes of what arises, what brings that up. And then I'm going to talk about some of the ways I'm, I'm just tap scratching the surface here, you guys. I'm going to talk about some of the ways what we can do fitness wise to help protect our dogs and to help prevent injuries. Um, so, again, thank you for joining me. If you work with patrol dogs, protection dogs, dogs that do bite work, personal protection, let me know what you do. Um, and if they're clients of yours, let me know. So that is uh, just a, a, a quick little background. So let me um, I'm going to start off talking about uh, and I'm gonna, I'll be periodically be throwing up some photos for you just to um, add to, to the conversation here. But the dangers uh, the, the, the I originally put down the risks, but um, dangers, the risks, the things that really um, does put these dogs at in many times a higher risk of injury compared to a lot of other sports that are out there. And um, so high impact, okay, high impact. Uh, you know, it's not a low impact activity. Um, I always tell people, you know, relate it to like football. Football is a high impact, you know, bodies hitting each other. And it's like if you're participating in a high impact sport like that over time, eventually, eventually, most probably if you do it for long, injuries will happen. Um, so, you know, it's no fun when it happens, but, you know, you, you can't go into it uh, blindly. And uh, I'll, I'll throw up a, a picture here. Um, this is one of my other dogs. This is uh, Knox that I do French ring with. Let me pull him up. And here's the thing is, uh, depending on the sport that you do, but there are times when the dogs are 
running high speed, like a full blast down like the distance of, you know, like a baseball field. And, and you know, these, a lot of these high drive dogs, like they have no concern for their body, you know, body preservation. They're just like, you know, they'll jump off cliffs. And so you're coming in at high speed and um, they've, they've done calculations and they've measured the impact when the dogs come in at the bite is hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of impact. When you've got a 60 pound, 70 pound, 80 pound or more dog coming in high speed and hitting on the bite. Even if the decoy um, catches and, and moves to kind of take in and absorb that impact, um, you are looking at hundreds of pounds coming in um, when the dog strikes. And so you have speed, you have the dog, you know, running full speed down the field, you have the impact of the bite, right? You've got that high impact coming in whenever they're doing the biting. And um, it is just a, a high impact activity. Other things that you have here is that makes it um, dangerous is, um, and, and it doesn't mean like, there's plenty of dogs that do this and they don't get injured. I don't, people who aren't involved in this, I don't want them to think we're just like out there, like, you know, terrorizing our dogs and, and, and you know, purposely putting them in dangerous situations. Um, plenty of times there are dogs, they're doing fine and they're not getting injured. And there are a lot of times when things are happening, we can prevent them. But here's another thing, that, um, and this will lead to some of the injuries we frequently see in sport dogs and working dogs, but you have unpredictable movements. Um, frequently of, um, for example, the decoy. And it also depends on what activities you're doing. If you have a patrol dog, a police dog, and um, you know, they're, they're, you're, you're doing apprehension of a suspect, I mean, you can't predict where that person's going and where they're running or jumping and what direction they're going, especially if the dog can see them and there's any kind of quick change of movements. Um, in my sport that I do French ring, the dog's running down the field and the decoy is purposely trying to get the dog to miss, miss biting him. And so at the very last minute, the decoy will step sideways, right? Um, sometimes the dog's running full blast and you have to call the dog back before they get to the person. You have to blow the whistle and they have to quickly turn around, stop, come back to you. And so, and the dog doesn't know when you're going to blow the whistle. Well, so, some highly trained dogs can predict and anticipate. They will try to anticipate. So what happens is you're getting um, these unpredictable movements, um, quick twists and turns and changes of directions that can put a dog at risk. Um, and, and then that along with the high impact activities puts the dogs at risk. Um, and then also there is the issue, let me see if I've got a, a slide, a little slide for this. Um, another issue here is that you might have um, the, the surface that you're running the dog on and working the dog on. You can have slick and slippery surfaces. Um, it could be, it could be um, a police canine that is um, in a building. And you know, think of schools and the floors in schools and gymnasiums and how slick and slippery they are. Imagine if you're running full speed, running quickly and jumping on slick surfaces. Also think about um, think about out there and you're running and jumping and, and biting and twisting and turning and changing directions on wet grass or it's rained. Um, you know, uh, th there's a lot of different things here that you're putting the dogs um, at, at risk because they don't have really good traction. And uh, sometimes we can control that. 
Um, sometimes like if, if it's a really nasty, wet, rainy day and there's an inch of water on the ground, I can decide that I'm not going to work my dog. But if you have a police dog, right, a police canine, um, you can't say, well, oh, we're not going to chase after this guy today because it's too wet outside, <laughs> right? Um, so these are things that also put our dogs at risk. Um, so some of the things that we see, so we ha have high impact. Um, we have sometimes unpredictable movements. Um, you, oh, also another thing, I didn't think about this. Also, you will have sometimes where they're going in and they're biting. Here, I got a picture for this one. And um, I actually have two pictures for this one. Let's see if I can pull this up. But you will, um, sometimes there is the danger of uh, the, the person uh, falling down and, um, you know, they they might land on the dog. Um, it, it, it doesn't happen frequently, but, um, you know, it, it, it does happen. And so, you know, there's, it's a very, very physically, physically demanding um, activity that you're doing. And then also, depending on, well, whether you have a working dog, a police canine, or if you're doing sports, um, and some sports have this more than others, but in ring sport, we have a palisade wall that our dogs jump kind of jump, kind of pull themselves up, they jump over and um, and land on the other side. This is the French ring. The picture you see is a French ring palisade. And um, they're actually changing it in France and there's uh, conversations about what's happening. Um, but they're actually changing it so that's gonna have more of like a, a ramp on one side. In Mondial ring, we have one side has a ramp. But um, when I did this with Bocce, it's vertical, straight vertical up, straight vertical down. He at competition weight, 86 pounds, easily 86 pounds. I don't know how tall he is. He's a big boy. I don't know. He might be 29 inches at the shoulders. Um, so you can imagine it's well over your head. Um, and imagine the impact when the dog is, is landing. So um, awesome. Marilyn and Carolyn, thanks for joining me. Kate and Michael. Michael, yes, Michael, I know that you've got experience. A former police officer. Um, and yeah, you do IPO. Thank you for joining us. So yeah, like in uh, IPO and Schutzen, or of course they're changing the name again of it, uh, but they have, um, the jump is smaller, um, but you do have, you have the A-frame and you know, th there are, it's more impact. You are putting more impact on the dogs. So, you know, these are some things that you're dealing with. So what are some of the things that we're seeing as an effect of this? And let me see if I've got a good photo for the next one. So what happens here, what are some of the common issues and the injuries and, and things that we see that happen is, um, you know, it's not uncommon that you will get um, neck and spine injuries um, because of the impact and also the, the movements. Um, it's, it's one thing to come in and bite a certain way, but if, you know, the dog's coming in makes a quick twist and a turn or the decoy makes a quick move, um, they're coming in and they might not be getting a good position whenever they're biting. Um, and there's a lot of other things that can happen whenever they're entering and coming in for the bite. And also when they're working the dog on the bite that um, puts extra strain on the neck and on the spine on the lower back. So when we think about a fitness program for these dogs, we want to think about what can we do to protect 
the spine? What can we do to strengthen the lower back? What can we do to protect the neck, strengthen strengthen the dog in these areas so that um, we can help protect them and help them handle the demands of the sport better um, or the work that they're doing if they're a working dog. Um, another thing that we frequently see are um, iliopsoas uh, injuries, uh, pulled muscle in the groin. You've, you've got a number of muscles there deep in the groin. You've got the psoas, the iliopsoas, it's that general area. And, um, and this is a, a, think of a hyper and excess stretching. So think about when um, a dog slides on and slips on um, ice, right? And the, it goes kind of splay-legged. That kind of movement or they're jumping and they land in wet grass and they, their leg slips up from under them. Or uh, my dog, it happened where he was doing a face attack and he was running down the field and I blew my whistle and he had to come stop as quickly and come back to me. He was at full speed. So when I blow my whistle, he's like turn in the corner, making those sharp turns. And um, he overstretched um, and he had already had some issues here, but it, it's an overstretching of those muscles. So you can think about the quick twists and the turns. And so these are not, these are common injuries you'll see in general sport and working dogs, but especially you're at a higher risk when you're doing these types of movements that put your dog at risk of overstretching these muscles. Um, Another thing that can put them at risk is the way this muscle kind of goes from deep in that groin and it connects up um, along like the lower back. And so um, my dog had some lower back weakness and we think that some of his iliopsoas issues were related to his structure and weakness in the lower back. And um, these activities definitely put um, stress on the lower back. So these are some common things. Yeah, Kate says bite work border collie here. <laughs> you need to put some videos up. <laughs> um, other things that we see, um, the cranial cruciate ligament um, injuries. Um, so you see it in the knees, right? Uh, again, this is not unique just for just for these, you know, these sports and these types of activities. It's not just protection work. Um, but these are things that we do see in dogs that are so active and in such um, being in a very physically demanding sport. So these are also things that we'll see. And these are things, again, if you have a fit dog, you have um, a well-conditioned dog, there are things that you can do to help prevent these. Now, you're never ever guaranteed that you're never going to have an injury. But if you're going to have an injury, uh, I'd rather have my dog going into it as fit as possible so that it doesn't, you know, have as bad of a, an effect and hopefully they can recover faster. Um, so either way, whether it's preventing injuries or helping to recover faster or minimize the degree of the injury, having your dog in the best shape possible is going to definitely help you. Shoulder injuries. Um, I went to a recent conference and they were saying, you know, um, the most common injuries they're seeing in these sport dogs and working dogs have seen a lot of shoulder injuries. Um, and again, they can be from a lot of this hyper, this extra stretching um, of, you think about the leg, the twists and the turns as they're changing directions. Again, when they're jumping down the impact and also these injuries can be from just wear and tear over time on the body. Um, and it just, you know, breaks the body down. It makes it weaker. And then it puts your dog at more of a potential higher risk of injury. Um, the other thing that we see now, you don't, you don't see this a lot, 
but I see dogs coming very closely to this. And there are dogs every year that die from this. Um, and because of the types of dogs we're working with, a lot of times these really high energy, high drive working dogs that will not stop, there, there is more of a potential to see um, the effects of heat, heat exhaustion and heat stroke on the dogs. Because some of these dogs, um, they will work until they fall, and, and this has happened, and I know of dogs that have done this, they will keep going and they will work until they, they will kill themselves. Um, they won't be like, oh, I'm too hot, I don't wanna work today. <laughs> you know, I need to go rest under the tree. Some dogs, um, some dogs, uh, I have one dog, if he starts to get really hot, he's like looking for shade, and you know, he gets a little bit more resistant. Um, and then I have another dog that it doesn't matter if you ask him to go or to chase something or to bite something, it doesn't matter how hot he is, he will go and go and go and, and he would fall over dead if I didn't watch him. And so um, I've seen dogs, I've seen dogs um, out there where um, they had to be carried off the field, they couldn't stand. Um, I've, I haven't witnessed it, but I, I, you know, I've, I've heard uh, of dogs um, dying from heat stroke, doing patrol work, police dogs, um, uh, protection dogs, sport dogs in training. And um, I don't know if I've heard one during, I've heard one during training, but it, it's, like I said, you might not see a dog every day. You don't necessarily go out and see a dog with heat stroke, but trust me, I see a lot of dogs that are right on the verge. They're right on the verge of it. And what happens is if you go and like overboard and the dog overheats, maybe they don't hit heat stroke, but overheating can affect the body's ability to regulate body temperature. And you can have lifetime effects. You can have long-term effects of working your dog too, too hot. And so even though you don't necessarily say, oh, my dog you know, had just suffered heat stroke, um, it doesn't mean that you, your dog can't still be suffering from the negative effects of you overheating the dog and working the dog um, beyond what it should be. So, and like I said, for the types of dogs that we frequently see doing these types of activities, um, they are ones because of the drive, the crazy drive that they have, um, it's not unusual to find them that will keep going. So those are some of the dangers. I already mentioned about the unpredictable movements. Um, and then also I mentioned the, the surfaces. So these are all, you know, different things that are happening that we have to be aware of. And when we are, when we're developing a fitness program for these dogs, we want to think about the demands on their body. We want to think about the dangers and the things that are challenging for them so that our fitness program can be a sport or work specific related program. So I'm going to give you some examples about uh, how this is. Um, so far, we have a so Michael does IPO and he's got experience um, as a canine handler. We have Kate with the Border Collie, um, but uh, we have any other people that do protection sports or um, have a police canine or uh, let me know. Uh, Kate says, yep, you know of two who've died from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's not the only dogs that are at risk. There's a lot of dogs at risk, but especially when you get into those really high drive dogs that just won't take care of themselves, we have to intervene. We have to be very, very careful about that. So, um, so what, what can we do? What can we do to help them, um, to help prevent injuries, to help keep them in condition? 
And um, I'm, I'm just going to touch upon a few. Like I said, I could spend a whole weekend nonstop talking about this, giving examples. But um, I think I have 10 things here I'm going to highlight. Let me see. I've got seven, eight, nine. Yep, I've got 10 things I want to highlight. 10 things, and I have them numbered. So we'll go through these quickly. Number one, um, and of course, you want to make sure your dog's healthy starting out. Um, you want to have an appropriate weight. You want good working weight. You want a slim and trim dog. You don't want ex any extra weight and fat on that dog. Um, it's just going to be, it's putting more stress on the body. Um, the body's got to work harder. And it's just, um, you want a good working weight. I like to do it where I can physically, when my dog's standing naturally, that I can see the last couple ribs and my dog's just kind of standing naturally. Um, if I run my fingers over the ribs, I should be able to put very little pressure and I can feel the ribs. If you put your hand along your dog's rib cage and have to push down, you can't see the ribs and you have to push down to find the ribs. Um, that's uh, typically not good. You want to keep, you want to know, there's a Purina, they have a, a, a body, there's a couple different rating systems out there. But um, number one is keeping your dog at a good working weight is going to help. Another thing that's going to be really helpful, um, this is quick and easy to do, but it's one of the best things you can do to help prevent injuries is warm up your dogs before you do any real physical activity. And I just did an hour last week. I did an hour long show on warming up your dog. So um, if you go to my videos, Northeast Canine Conditioning, I'm not going to spend a lot of time right now. I spent an entire hour on this talking about sports specific warm ups. But you you want to warm up your dog. You want to get those muscles warmed up. You don't need to overheat them, but you need to get the body prepped for exercise. Now, there are situations in working dogs um, where, again, let's look at the police canine. You're driving up and the dog has to go out and pursue somebody. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, give me give me 10 minutes to warm up my dog. Um, but a lot of times these dogs have pretty much kind of warmed up themselves. Uh, I know a lot of friends of mine, I know those dogs, they know when there's um, something happening. They're spinning, they're getting excited. And, um, you know, that is warming up their bodies. Now, it's not a behavior you want to reward all the time. Um, but, you know, I don't ever really hear of a police canine that's like in a dead sleep. And then all of a sudden the door opens and they have to go. So the siren, the noise, the lights, they typically start to get really excited. Um, but, you know, ideally you want to have some control of the situation, but doing some kind of warm up is going to be really, really helpful. Another thing is consistent training, consistent training. And so what I mean here, um, th there's a lot here uh, when it comes to training, but one of, one of the things for keeping your dog fit and keeping them in the best possible condition is you want to avoid having a weekend warrior. You want to avoid having a dog that is only doing hard um, exercise or activity and hard training one day a week on a Saturday. Um, because typically, for your dog to be built, for his body, his or her body to be adapting to exercise and to be getting stronger and faster and, um, a con you know, getting used to the activity that you're doing, you want to be working them at least three days a week or more. So it's like if I go to the gym and if I, if I lift weights one day a week, I'm not going to be able to get stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm lifting weights. I go a whole week. And before I go again, all that work I did, I just kind of got deconditioned. Right. I, I just lost that. So it's the same with the dogs is um, I see this. If you go to um, some of the dogs, I'm thinking that go through like the police academy. Um, those dogs are working hard every single day. Those dogs are in like the best condition of their life. 
seven days a week, not seven days a week. Well, some of them are, are doing more than five days a week, but five days a week, they're out there, they're training. And then what happens is they graduate. And if you don't keep up some consistent training, your dog starts to lose condition. And so when your dog starts to lose that condition, when you go and have a hard days of training or your dog is having a really hard day of work, your dog's body has not been conditioned for that hard training if you've only doing it one day a week or once every two weeks or once a month. So if you're not consistent in your training, if you're not consistent, your, your dog's physical fitness, you're losing conditioning, you're losing fitness. And so one of the best things to do is to keep up with your training, keep up with exercise. If you're doing bite work and you know with your dog, Ideally, you don't want to do it once or twice a month in the sport dog worlds. And it was hard. I, I was lucky if I could do it once a week. And I knew, you know, my dog was at risk of injury because ideally I don't want to do it only one day a week. Um, so the more consistent you can be and working the and training and mimicking the same types of behaviors um, that you're doing in, you know, when you're doing the sport or you're doing the work. Um, and, and that higher level intensity, you want to work it more than once a week um, for the dog to get conditioned and to maintain conditioning. So consistent training and keeping that steady exercise and that physical fitness is really important to keep them in shape to help prevent injury. Another thing here is um, decreasing the wear and tear on the body. And there's a there's a number of things here with the wear and tear on the body. Um, one thing, and I know this is a thing that's going to be hard to see change is, a, and I'm guilty of it when I started, is um, we're, we're putting too much strain on young dogs' bodies. Um, you really want for them to be doing the full high impact, all these jumps. You want your dog to be physically mature. You want the growth plates to be closed. You're looking at dogs, some dogs, you know, a year and a half old. Um, and and I and I know, I know in the protection sport world, um, I you know, I know what we do, um, you know, we in general, um, in the training and the in the protection type work, um, we do a lot with young dogs. And um, and that wear and tear over the lifetime of the dog, it adds up. And if the dog is still growing and the growth plates have not closed, um, they're not physically mature. Um, even if the growth plates have closed as they mature, you know, my Doberman, she looked like a greyhound until she was three years old. And then she finally started to get muscle on her. Um, so those are some things to be um, to be thinking about. Oh, I see a couple comments here. Um Yo, Michael said the same thing with the police and the, yeah, and Michael can say this because he was a police officer. <laughs> um, same thing for them. They go through the academy and they're in the best shape of the, their lives. And then afterwards, whoops. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Kate says you do three days a week. Excellent. Um, two days. Yeah. Uh, recovery. And if you are training a lot, rest and recovery is important. Don't do seven days a week nonstop. Um, okay. I had a couple notes here for um, decreasing that wear and tear on the body. Okay, here's some other, here's some tips. When your dog's learning to do different jumps, right? Um, you don't have to jump every day. You don't, if your dog is jumping a 1.2 meter hurdle and your dog has learned the 1.2 meter hurdle, you don't have to jump the highest height all the time. 
So I know some people like their dog will jump a couple of times and the dog does really well, or maybe they hit it once or twice and then they jump clear. Stop, like stop. Um, and I'm guilty of this, right? The dog jumps poorly and you knock something. Well, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> uh, you, you know, that's wear and tear on the body and it adds up over time. It, your dog only has so much in it in the lifetime of the joints and the body. Um, so thinking about, um, when my dog would go and jump well, I'm like, I'm done. No more jumps. And I know some people that will jump their dogs five, six days a week. I wouldn't advise that there, there's, there's, there's not a need for that. Um, other things that you can do, um, yeah, uh, uh, repetitions, minimize the repetitions. You don't need to do something a zillion times over and over and over again. Another thing here, um, breaking down, breaking down the exercises into smaller pieces. And when you need to, um, to practice technique, you don't have to redo the entire exercise. So for example, if my dog's running down the field and I want to practice the entry as the dog's coming in for the bite, if I need to practice it, if I need to practice it, let's say, um, a lot of people might say, oh, you know, let's let's do it again. And so they go to the beginning of the field and they send the dog full field running down again. And then they say, oh, let's practice the left leg. Let's practice the right leg. What you can do is you can, if you're practicing technique, is you can bring the dog much closer. Sometimes we'll use like a barrel or a barrier or something for the dog to run around. And you can break the exercises down into smaller units, smaller sections of exercise. And just if you're going to do a lot of repetition, do it so it's less impactful. So I know, for example, um, I know, for example, when I was teaching entries, when Nox, uh, when Bachi was, well, both my dogs, when they were young, is when we, we wanted to get a lot of repetition. So sometimes we would work them really close and we would send them, you know, short distances. And that also when he's not running full speed, he's not having the same amount of impact. Um, sometimes we'll have them on a bungee to kind of slow them down coming in. So those are the types of things that you can minimize the wear and tear. Let me see if I had a couple of other examples. Yes, and like I said, working the dog closer because when the faster your dog is going and the faster the dog comes in on impact, like I said, you could have hundreds of pounds coming in on impact. So slowing the dog down, that is one way that you can minimize the wear and the tear and the impact. But here, here's a caution. Here's a caution here is I know that one of the ways that people slow the dogs down is they attach a tire, a, a big tire, and the dog is dragging the tire. But a lot of people that do this, they don't condition the dog on a weekly basis, multiple times a week for pulling, right? And, um, and this is something that could actually be setting your dog up for injury. You are, you are overworked the bot. If you're not doing weight training and weight pulling and resistance training three times a week, you know, two, three times a week, and you're building up strength in pulling and drag work, um, if you're just doing it once in a blue moon, your dog's body is not conditioned. You're, you're overloading the body. And um, when you're doing things like that and you're pushing the dog to its limits and it's not had a time to adapt, you're setting them up for injury. So just be careful that sometimes we, we do things to slow our dogs down on the entry, but sometimes what we're doing to slow them down can also cause problems. So just be careful with that. Um, 
Uh, Kate says, I always had the decoy come in working um, to and, and feeding in the bite. Mm, well, you know, depending on what exercise and what you're practicing, but anytime you can minimize that wear and tear. Um, uh, you said never jumping over, uh, Kate said never jumping over shoulder height until the dog's like a, a year and a half old. Yeah, like I said, I'm guilty. I didn't know all this when I started um, ring sport. And now I, I, was, I was not jumping full height when he was like really young. But when I look back, we he was doing more botch, botchy more so because he was my first. I would say he he was, and he's a big, heavy dog. And when I look back, um, I would say, yeah, he 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 was doing stuff at at, at at it was not age appropriate, or maybe it was age appropriate, but it was. I I know for a fact we were we were more a weekend warrior, and. Um, and so on the weekend when we would get to train maybe one day a week or two or three times a month, um, he, he was doing stuff his body was not conditioned for. But um, it's hard when you don't have people that help you train. Yeah. So a couple other things. Um, that was number four. Number five, uh, be careful with the neck. Be careful with the neck. So, for example, it's, it's really important to work with people who are catching your dog, your decoys, your helpers that know how to catch a dog. They know how to minimize the, that, that re, you know, that impact when the dog's coming in and giving with the dog, moving with, um, you know, with the dog when he's coming in to absorb that impact and when the dog's hitting. Um, so, you know, and, and there's a whole nother, you know, discussion and argument about, well, we need to train people and we need to have people um, train so that they learn how we can't just, you know, not ever work our dog on people who aren't super, super experienced or you don't have them. That's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, one of the things you can do to help your dog is if they're working on an experienced person who knows how to safely catch the dog. And, and anybody who does this, we know that. Um, another thing is when you're working the dog, um, even when you're playing tug, is um, always be aware of the spine, the alignment of the spine. You want to try to keep a nice, you know, some dogs are thrashers and they're just thrashing their head and their neck all over. And it's really hard to control that or to change that um, when the dogs have already, you know, they already do this uh, as a habit. They built this in. But whenever possible, um, you know, when you're tugging with the dog, when they're on the bite pillow, when they're biting, paying attention to the alignment, um, you're wanting to keep the neck the spine all the way down. You want to keep it in alignment. You want to keep it as straight as possible. Um, we, we can't always control this. We can't, we always, a lot of times we don't have control over this, but when you do have control, um, paying attention to that and, and the excess torque of the neck, just trying to minimize that whenever you can. And a lot of times as a handler, you can't, con you don't have control over that. It's the person who's working your dog. It's the decoy. It's the helper working your dog that has control over that more so. But another thing you can do to prevent, help prevent injury is teaching your dog good te te technique. And it's worth it. My dogs, we spent a long time doing like puppy type bite work training on a harness, teaching them to have proper technique when they're biting. It is definitely worth it to don't rush your dog. Take the time, work with somebody who can teach proper technique. Technique is so important because like I said, when you're the handler, you send the dog off to go, you don't have control over that. When the dog's biting, when the, the decoy is working the dog, um, you don't have control over that. So paying attention and having knowledgeable people that are working your dogs 
and um, taking your time and teaching good good technique is going to help your dog. Um, a couple that was number five. Number six, I already mentioned this: attention to surfaces. Sometimes you can't, you, you know, like I said, a police canine, you can't necessarily control when your dog goes out and runs on what surfaces. But if you can't control it, um, if you're you have a training day and you can change the surface that you're on to protect your dog, um, if you're competing in competition. And, and it's really nasty out there, you might decide to pull your dog and not compete. Um, those are things to do. Um, so Kate said, um, you said it's hard to not get excited and want to do what the dog can do, but shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, we, it's up to us. It's up to us to keep them safe, right? But paying attention to the surfaces. And like I said, we we don't always have control over this, but when you can, play, you know, paying attention to it. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Even just the slightest bit of dehydration puts your dog at a much higher risk of heat stroke. And also, the more, like I said, the effects of the heat, they do not have to have heat stroke, full, the full-blown heat stroke to have negative effects to carry over from the effects of, of the body overheating, um, you know, beyond what it should. And if your dog's a little bit dehydrated, like you should not be working your dog dehydrated. Um, it's going to put your dog at risk. And then also when your dog's dehydrated, they don't recover as quickly. And so if you're working back to back days, if you're working long days, two, three days in a row, um, and also of course in hot weather, humid weather, but, um, hydration is so, so very important. Um, and, uh, it, and knowing I have a video on heat stroke. Um, I'll try to remember to post it. Make sure you know really well. You might think you understand. There's a lot of stuff on heat stroke, a, a lot of, you know, small things that um, that you might not be noticing and picking up on. Uh, the more that you can learn about heat stroke, the signs of heat stroke, preventing heat stroke. Like I said, I have a whole nother video on this that I'll post. Um, but that's um, that's really important. It's on, it's on your shoulders, your shoulders to keep to have that knowledge and to keep your dog safe and to know when enough is enough. Bring the body down, cooling down. You want to bring the dog's temperature down. Um, keep them moving. Oh, here's a quick thing. Research shows that when exercise stops, the dog's body temperature, even when you're done running, you know, running and jumping, when the dog stops this exercise, the body temperature can continue to go up eight, ten minutes after exercise or more. So you may walk your dog around for three, four minutes and put them in the crate and your dog's body temperature can be going up, 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 up and up and you don't even know it. Um, so be very, very, very careful again around the dangers around the heat. So, um, you know, don't overheat, keep your dog hydrated and make sure you know really well the signs of heat stroke. And here's the thing is sometimes it, a dog can show no outward signs, real, you know, no drastic signs. The best way sometimes is actually getting the, the body temperature. But um, be aware that um, even if your dog doesn't look really, really hot, it doesn't necessarily mean that your dog is a-okay. Um, so like I said, I will post that video up so you can learn more about um, heat stroke. Cooling down, make sure you cool down your dog. Um, give them plenty of time. Don't put them in the crate. Don't put them into the car until they're breathing, their body temperature. Um, you know, look at the insides of their ears. The pinkness of the ears starts to come down to normal. 
okay? And if you don't know what your dog's normal is for body temperature, taking temperatures throughout the day, throughout different periods of exercise, before, in the middle of exercise, you know, after exercise, 30 minutes after, um, and get used to what, what is kind of the norm for your dog. Um, number 10, the last one, I have strength training. Um, because it's such a high impact sport. There's so much stress on the body, on the tendons, on the, the ligaments, on the muscles, that the more that you can take the muscles that your dog does have and keep them toned and keep them strong, those muscles are protecting those body parts that are at risk of getting hurt. So the shoulders, right? Um, think about the, the hips, think about the hindquarters, think about the lower back, your core muscles, the abdominal muscles, the back muscles, the shoulder, the muscles in the shoulder, the muscle in the hindquarters. All of this is helping to protect those moving parts, protecting the joints, protecting the lower back. So in addition to doing your training, in addition to having some cardio, some exercise for your dog, um, building in strength training exercises. And um, I would recommend like low impact. If your dog is doing a lot of high impact activities, doing strength training exercises that are low impact. Um, you know, jumping is strength. Jumping is strength. But if my dog is doing a high impact activity and doing it a lot, I don't necessarily want to do my extra strength training on my other days by doing more and more jumping. Um, so strength training could be walking up a hill. Strength training could be exercises you do with exercise equipment. Um, crawling forwards, crawling backwards, uh, strength training. Uh, in a, a very advanced move, if you do it um, correctly, the, the sit pretty. And there is some controversy over that. That's another conversation. Um, but there are um, specific exercises that you can do that are low impact, that are not going to hurt the body and overstress the body, but will make the body stronger. So strength training is going to help build your dog that protection um, when the dog is doing the jumping, the landing, the twisting, the turning um, to, to help preserve the, the different body parts, the limbs, the joints. Those are, those are going to be things that are really important. Um, yeah, um, uh, Marilyn says rubbing alcohol on the dog's feet to help cool down. And, um, yeah, um, when you think about where they, dogs don't sweat like us, you know, they they, they pant and, um, the, when, when you cool them down, here's another, sometimes they'll say, don't, don't hose off in the, the entire dog's body because it can actually like keep the heat in. What you want to do is kind of hit the body parts where they they release more of um, the, the heat and the the perspiration. They, they don't sweat like us, but the pads, the, the pads of their feet, um, what I'll do is have my dog stand in cold water. And if I can get the cold water over the pads of their feet, um, think about the main um, arteries. Think about the in the groin area. Think about where the areas we can get close to the blood flow. So think about the groin area, the armpit of the dog. They'll even say like the inside of the ears of the dogs, but my dogs aren't gonna let me hold cold stuff or, or ice or water on the inside of their ear. But think about um, where you can get real quick direct access um, to cool off. And so when I'm cooling my dog off, I'll have them like in a baby pool, I'll have them lay down in a baby pool. Um, so it's getting the armpits, you know, underneath those, um, uh, the legs, the groin area, the belly um, and the feet. Um, so I, I target, um, those key areas. Uh, Kate says she has a cooling vest. 
Um, but those are things. And like I said, hydration, um, cooler water hydration and drinking water, that also is helping to, to cool them down. Um, and so, um, again, there's more information in my heat stroke video. So, so like I said, I just, this is just, I I've talked for about over 45 minutes. This is just scratching the surface. Um, just to be highlighting some of the considerations, the cautions and considerations, potential dangers when you're working dogs. Um, you know, one of the best things is just keeping your dog. Let me see if I got another picture I can share with you um is just good overall body condition keeping your dog um cross training um having your dog in good physical condition being consistent in your training and being aware of the extra demands on the body being aware of the things that are potentially creating that extra risk of injury and what can you do to minimize it is all really important um now i have there's two things i have for you if you guys want to learn more I have a canine fitness guide and it's kind of like it gives you like a little um, where you reflect on your dog's current fitness level and it's kind of like a worksheet um, to, and I give you some guidelines to reflect upon what are you currently doing with your dog and fitness and, and what areas do you need to improve upon. So it's kind of like a little worksheet but it also has you reflect upon your current pro fitness program if you have a fitness program. And so if you're interested, um, just write the word guide and I will send you um, the link for the canine fitness guide. I just updated yesterday. Um, I think the link is ready to go. I might need a, a um, maybe 24 more hours. But if you're interested in my canine fitness, um, my canine fitness planning guide, um, just write the word guide in the comments below, and I will make sure that you get that. So it's like a like a again a little worksheet gives you some questions to think about and have you reflect upon where are you now in your canine fitness and where do you want to be. And, and what can you do to get there? So, um, so again, just put the word um, canine fitness guide, just put the word guide and I will send that to you. And then also, if you're interested in learning more about canine fitness, I do have, um, I have an online program, the Elite Canine Athlete Program. And um, I teach you how to design fitness programs. I teach you how to um, teach and create fitness courses and seminars. Um, it helps you to learn more about the, um, the relationship between structure and performance, how to assess and look at your dog and identify your dog's structural strengths and weaknesses and how to build a fitness program based on that. And the program is specific for sport and working dogs. I do have people that have pet dogs in it, um, but I give a lot of examples for sport and working dogs. So if you're interested in learning more about this if you're interested especially if you're a dog trainer a business owner um just write down elite canine and i will send you information on the program um so those are two things i have available for you again if you want the canine fitness guide um just write with the word guide and um it's just kind of like a little like a worksheet a planning guide to help you be more reflective and think about your dog's fitness program and what needs to be improved upon and then again, if you um, actually have some people here right now in the Elite Canine Athlete Program, but if you just do uh, Elite Canine, I will send you the um, information on my program, my online program. So any questions? Any questions here? I see. Thank you for sharing those of you. If I missed some of your comments, I will go back. If you're watching the video replay, please, please comment. Um, ask questions because I do go back and I, I will look at the replay and I will see your comments. 
Um, so definitely if you're watching the replay, I still want to hear from you. I want to know um, what you're involved with and uh, if this was helpful, any um, other suggestions you have. Awesome. Great. So um, I was just testing the link for the guide. You guys, um, like I said, if I don't get it up to you right away, I just updated it. Um, but I will send it. I will personally send it out to each and every one of you that um, put the word guide in there. And uh, and again, if you're interested in actual in, the, in my program, uh, the elite canine athlete program that leads to becoming a certified canine athlete specialist. We have a lot of canine business owners, uh, canine professionals and canine dog trainers that are in the program. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Michael. Um, like I said, it, it's, it's, I don't know why it took me over a year to, to do a Facebook Live on this because it's like my biggest passion. Um, but I hope this was helpful. Um, if it was helpful for you, please feel free to share the, the replay. Um, post it on Facebook, email the link, send it to people. And uh, if it was helpful for you, if you know people that do protection sports, if you know people who have working canines, um, this could, you know, one little tidbit of information here could really make a difference. It could prevent an injury. It could possibly even save a life, human, human or canine. So this is really important stuff, really important. So um, if this was helpful at all, please, please pass it on, share it, um, send the link, cross post it. We need to get this information out. We need to help more dogs and handlers uh, and we'll make a difference. This knowledge is power. and you know, get this information out to the right people and we will be helping dogs. We will be helping handlers and it could even save lives. So thank you again. I'll be sending out, watch out for my messages. Again, um, if you're interested in the guide, I'll message you. Um, I will post the links once I have them all available. And uh, thank you again. Every Friday on my Northeast Canine Conditioning Facebook business page is where you can find me. Every Friday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And thank, I really appreciate you guys coming and joining me live, adding comments, asking questions, engaging. Um, I love having you here live. Um, but if you can't make it live, watch the replay, share it. Um, either way, we have to get this information out there. We need more people to get educated on this. Um, and like I said, I made a lot of mistakes and I will still make mistakes, I know. Um, but uh, all of these things I went over, if you're making these mistakes, I've been there too. Um, so, but now you know, now you know better and uh, make a difference. So thanks again. I'm logging off and I'll talk to you guys next Friday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on my Northeast Canine Conditioning on my business page on Facebook. See you there. Bye-bye for now.